I get nervous. Yeah. Hold hands, everybody. Hold hands. Come in. Bring what, it in. What, what no, bring it in. Oh. 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 oh, guys. Here here we are. Another another one. Just I hope that uh, I hope that this <laughs> I hope that this new table configuration and the sort of the circuitry of buddy power that we've created, uh, this this sort of love net, I hope that it uh, carries us through. Um uh, I hope that we end in a better place than where we began, and I hope that we reach an insight um, that is so profound that it makes us cry either from laughter or profundity. Um, uh, in your holy name, Satan, we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. I really feel electrified that from that one. I'm in like prayer. a little crystal net of holographic loving diamonds here oh my gosh yeah. you know what makes me know that you're a hologram huh i can see you i can see your future self i can see your past self and i can see through you yeah it's all like a bunch of butterflies all coming out of mm -hmm. one cocoon oh my god it's like a, a sort of sexual geodesic mating ritual inside an octahedron inside of your in your heart spot in yeah sort of you know right spot. there in the warm little heart spot do yeah. you feel the the pulsing translucent power of a shimmering shatter blast of an old dying star but you know what we all share that together here i had to uh <laughs> get a surgery when i was younger oh. to put a rod into my my chest area to pop my rib cage out a little bit because i couldn't feel that feeling it turns out my uh my sternum it it was ill-formed and the bones were actually uh, crushing the area that should be protecting my the heart. warm spot exactly <laughs> i couldn't feel god <laughs> sure feel him now hey doc is there anything you, that you can do to like make me feel god <laughs> <laughs> there's a doc there's a there's a hole in my chest that seems to be Perfectly acceptable podcast. The reason for the season. <laughs> Get us an intro, yeah. Oh man, uh, <laughs> that's oh, a good intro, was any? Oh, fudge! Welcome to the perfectly acceptable podcast, go. episode one hundred and eleven. Wow. Three boys, three mics, one tub of beer cheese, one, 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 one log of brie, bunch of pretzels, some crackers. crackers. Uh, Hey, can I ask you a question? Please. I'm oh, not yeah, yeah. very good with math. Yeah. But is 111 like 111? Yeah, but now I'm starting to think like is it 112? I think it's 111. It's it's like 1 1 1. That's like the Roman numeral 3. I hope that this is 111 and not 112. It's one of the two. My vote is 111 cuz it's got three ones in it. Three of them. Maybe it's only episode 3. Oh, we I don't were think just... episode three is up on the <laughs> on the drive. I don't think people can hear episode three. It's kind of a secret. Let's make one. this episode one eleven end slash episode three. Where every Tuesday we go pick up a <laughs> whole bunch of books from the UPS facility uh, for our comic shop. We 
get them upstairs. We wrestle those boxes into a car, out of a car. We sort them. We count them. We love them. We get excited about them. We take them home, scurry like a bunch of little cute crows headed to a hole in a tree so we can read those comic books against the golden watches and special pebbles and twigs that look like legs to little people who don't have legs. And we can just say, this is my favorite comic book of the week. We then come back to the shop and we just reconvene in a very special sanctum sanctorum, a, a place where uh, ideas are exchanged and they're not only heard but they're anded like a yes and like a yes yes oh uh, and <laughs> and uh, I'm Jeff and I'm pretty pumped about this new table we're sitting at right now I'm Justin and I got a gut full of pub cheese <laughs> I'm Roman and this table is amazing and so is the pub cheese the pub cheese on the table that pub cheese is going to be pretty interesting coming out of you Roman Jeff made this beautiful Delicious pub cheese, and I'm so impressed. I like to call it Pubernash. Pubernash. <laughs> yeah, Jenny, you know what Pubernash is. Pubernash bridges? Oh. oh. <laughs> um, mash. Okay, this week, we're going to be spoiling some books. We're going to be talking about books. It was a huge week of books. Some, it was. A huge stack of them. If you listen to our podcast that came up yesterday, which was Tuesday, um, you'll know what we were excited about. Some of that stuff's going to be on the docket for today. But uh, if you are super uh, averse to spoilers, why don't you just pack it up, pack it in, let us begin talking, and you can just go somewhere and read them and then come back. But those books that we're going to be spoiling are The Immortal Hulk, number 10. The Immortal Hulk, number one, the best defense. Green Lantern, number two. The Martian Manhunter, number one. Prodigy, number one. Shazam, or Shazam, number one. And Batman 60, because we got to get Batman's percentage. He's the one paying for this whole thing. This might be the last episode we record up in the Sanctum Sanctorum because we got a bat cave now, a mm-hmm. podcast recording studio that we're going to move into next. In week. the upside down den under. Den den under. Den under. <laughs> you guys are good with voices. <laughs> down under. Den under. Den under. With Reza, Jezza, Jezza, and DeJezza. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? You know, like Australians, instead of like their nicknames are Ezers, so they just say like Jeff that. is Jezzer. I thought you were naming like uh, the Australian or New Zealand Ninja Turtles. Ezza, Leza, Rafa Jezza, McJezza, Jezza, Jezza, the other Jezza, and the purple Jezza with the bow stick. That is my levels. pitch. We're peaking. That is my pitch for my Ninja Turtles comic. The Australian. Do they have turtles in Australia? The Australian <laughs> Jezzes. <laughs> Jezzes. Teenage Mutant Ninja Jezzes. What a what a character. What a what a character. The Immortal Hulk. Let's break into this. Oh my let's gosh. let's uh let's get let's snack into this Jezza. <laughs> yeah, let's we got a couple Jezzes right here. Uh, this one's by Al Ewing and Joe Bennett with Rui Jose and Paul Mounts. Not Tezza. They are just cranking this book out like every two weeks right now. Yeah, they're on fire. Yeah, these books are on fire. Yeah, these books are hot. I bet that thing would burn. Oh, God. Um, Someone pat it down. What happened in this one? We pick up right where the last issue uh, ended where we've got Crusher Creel, whose characterization doesn't seem to really huh. be much in line with the Black Bolt Crusher Creel that we saw in... Uh, Saladin Ahmed's run, but he has been endowed with some gamma radiation, and he and Hulk are trading blows in the desert, kind of by where the original Hulk bomb went off. He's been drawn there, right? And he's he's coming down there, and and 
his what's his name Crusher Creel? Yeah, yeah. Zorby he's man. having a really bad day. <laughs> this whole issue, he was bumming hard. Yeah, and if you don't know what we're talking about, he, he got split open, so his body was open, and he's mostly just like a spinal cord with a head, but he's very red, like that spooky ghost from that episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, where there's a e- ancient evil spirit in the pool knocking people upside down. Yeah, except for he doesn't have a bottom half of his jaw, and he's got like these weird intestine tubes. That's that one messed his... up Jezza. Yeah, that is... <laughs> what an ugly Jezza. <laughs> um, but his soul is like down below. His soul still exists somewhere else. Did Oi, we get that out of mate. it? Oh, wait, that's crazy. Yeah, up, up here, in, up, up here in these these top panels. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He seems to be in the hell space. Yeah, he's Where... the most hideous monster in the world. <laughs> Let's pick him up, play with its teeth, and stick a match in his eye. <laughs> What they find out is that that Crusher Creel was headed towards the spot where the original Gamma Bomb hit Bruce Banner because by being there and absorbing all of the radiation, for some reason that is going to open up the big green door that we have been sort of alluding to, hearing about, and reading about in these you know ten issues. And then we open up that door and like. Bummer deal, dude. <laughs> yeah. We are in hell. I really thought like behind the door is gonna be a lot of money. Yeah. You know, like green. Scrooge door. McDuck. Yeah. <laughs> Jump in this giant pile of gold coins. Finally made it, guys. I'm gonna <laughs> fix my gamma radiation problem. So cute. Hulk's all swimming around in the coins. Yeah. No, it turns out it's hell. Yeah, it's hell you get when when you go through the green door. What was your read on all that? Um you know, I think that uh, Literal hell, metaphorical hell? Both. Okay. When yeah. when metaphorical becomes real, you know, um, Hulk's in this in this incarnation is kind of all that is repressed. He's the uh, Clothania Mundi, the world below. You know, he's everything that you put down and bury inside of you, um, and so he's all every all your irrationality, but also all your intuition. So I think this is this realm down below is ever, maybe our like collective unconscious all of our repressed thoughts mm. all of our all of our demons so i felt like it was a pretty apt place to go through the green door you're going to get all that deep irrational craziness that's the read i was looking for yeah um and he says where we've always been where everyone's always been and then you flip the page and it says welcome to hell I like that read on it since that door seems to be this this subconscious area, you know, a key to something that is alive beneath the surface. So the idea that this infinite sea of repression or, you know, subconscious is hell is a really cool link between the metaphorical and literal uh, expressions of hell. That's that's awesome. I didn't quite create a, a link like that until you just said it. Yeah, and like this book has got some like whiffs of Jungian mm-hmm. thoughts, and you know the hell or shadow, the shadow. It's not necessarily just evil, like capital no. B bad. It's everything that you're not. So you know if you're really bad with money in your conscious life, your ability to be good with money is also there, as well as everything. You know the first insult, the first time you felt in, you know unloved by your parents is there as well. Like everything that you don't want to acknowledge is down there. So um, I feel like hell, the the journey through hell is what makes us totally whole. And I feel like Hulk is this kind of weird halfling thing, and he's seeking union, and he's also seeking to confront the ghost of his father. And where else would that be? So I'm really curious about what like the following issues of this Jezza in Hell is going to be like. <laughs> like the immortal um, Jezza in Hell. <laughs> the immortal Jezza in Hell. I was really curious about that too because, I mean, Justin, do you know, I had to Google it, this name, this word at the end for next issue 
Thamiel. Thamiel. It's something to do with the Kabbalah, isn't it? Yeah, Miel is like uh, in the Bible, you know, that's Miel means like intelligence of, and that's why we have Gabriel and Michael is like they're the intelligence of that Mika and Gabra. Oh. So Miel is usually like messenger of also. Um, so I read it as Thamiel, some kind of angel. So it could be the angel of death. <laughs> the Jezza of death. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was like, some kind of crazy, you know, underworld <laughs> angel shit's going on down there, and Hulk's got to punch him. More so, bad stuff. Yeah. So like, I guess this issue just really effectively does more of what's been great about this book, which is sort of straddling this line of literal and metaphorical exploration of, of repression and horror. And wow, to be getting that out of a big out big old Marvel punch him up, <laughs> yeah, is. Crazy to me. Yeah, I never thought you know we'd have something like that out of an absorbing man story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And while also it has all of that, it doesn't really feel as heady and as bogged down as that may sound. No, like, not at um, all. Yeah, because yeah. I think that you can read it not on that level at all. Yeah, and it's still like a great like just a couple ugly dudes punching each other in the desert. Being you know this seems like a, a Hulk, a normal Hulk comic until you start seeing the the. Metaphorical, metaphorical literal divide. Um, so on a literal level, it's just a sweet, brightly colored green laser punching them up, you know. And then on the other level, it's like the descent and rebirth of this one green Jezza. I'm, yeah. ho- I'm hoping we have a little bit of, because <clears throat> as we realize at the end of the issue that uh, Crusher Creel is in hell, his soul or whatever you want to call it, and he's the one that's apologizing and I'm wondering if, He's gonna. That's gonna harken back to his characterization and kind of awakening in uh, Black Bolt. Yeah, because this Fortean dude was at Shadow Base, was using him, manipulating him. I think somewhat. So mm. I hope. So I hope Crusher gets back to being kind of a a more decent guy than just a big old thug. Yeah, so I'm curious if that's a direct reference. Do we give us gore now, or do we talk about the other Hulk book and then read both of them? Let's do that. Yeah. Um, I didn't read the other one, though, so I need ah. some insight from my Hulk boys. This was written by Al Ewing with art by, help me out. Um, art by, where's the title page? Art by know. Simone DeMille. Though there's some scenes, was it in this book? Yeah, the glitchy old old panel scenes. Yeah, well, those are by Jack Kirby. Because this, yeah. this story is told modern-day Bruce Banner wandering through this New Mexican desert. And it's interspersed every now and then. There's a panel of old classic Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, Hulk from <clears throat> the first six issues, I think. I loved it. It was funny, but it also added this like whole kind of psychotic level of things. Like he's speaking Hulk in that. I, I would love to see that in more Hulk books. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was a nice device. And the way Bruce, because <clears throat> he goes into this town, ta- he arrives at this town during daylight, so the Hulk can't come out. But Bruce's uh, inner monologue, he's talking about how him and the Hulk no longer talk to each other. Like in Peter David's run in the 80s and 90s, sometimes you'd have a view of like the Hulk's banner's mindscape. The two of them would just be standing there, sitting there, talking to each other. Bruce says they don't do that anymore. And, and now it's just he gets like they don't text much at, no yeah mm-hmm. they get an itch at the back he gets an itch at the back of his spine or or, or just a, a feeling and that's the Hulk. Um, yeah, it's like a vague intuition. Yeah, because the Hulk operates on hunches and, and gut feelings, and you know, so unlike Bruce, who's what was this? What is this Defenders miniseries we're getting right now? Um, you have Hulk wandering around this wasteland town, 
and he has a or you have Bruce Banner. Hulk is sending him kind of hunches and hints through here, and he eventually stumbles upon Doctor Strange's dead body, mm-hmm. who has been burnt to death. But he noticed the Eye of Agamotto has been stolen. So he's hunting down, um, and he has a feeling that the person who stole the Eye of Agamotto is still in this town. Um, yeah, and he fights uh, this old guy who has it. Yeah, There's a lot of cool Bruce Banner Hulk dialogue throughout it. This old dude is, has gotten the eye and has subjugated the entire this entire crappy little town because when he wandered into town originally, the cops beat the crap out of him because he's a vagrant. Mm-hmm. And then he found Strange's body and got the eye, and he's using it to get his revenge on these people that treated him so badly in the town. And Strange's death is like purposely very vague, and he's been burnt alive, or he was dead but then lit on fire. So Hulk doesn't really know, but... He's, like, saying that he respects Steven, so he's going to figure out who did it. And he tells Hulk, thereby hangs a tail. So we're going to find out in, I think it's... The strange one. Doctor Strange, the best defense next week, what's going on here. Because in this one and also in the other, the Namor best defense to issue this week, there's one page in each that's an interlude where there's somebody in a white hood with... Pup- you can only see orange skin and, and no pupils... For their eyes, and they're killing these aliens and on other spaceships and stuff somewhere. So it's, <clears throat> the the framing for this is that there are four one shots called the Best Defense: Immortal Hulk, Namor, Doctor Strange, and Silver Surfer, and they all lead into this just one single issue called Defenders: The Best Defense. And mm-hmm. I don't remember who writes that main one. Each of the four single shots are uh, written by different writers. Good? Not good? Interested? Not interested? It was good. Um, yeah, I'm, it was good. I'm interested. I'm not super interested in the overall plot. Like, the alien stuff was weird, but I really liked um, Hulk. And ha- I really liked Bruce Bruce's characterization in this. And the use of the old kind of um, panels of old Hulk was a really cool framing device. Um, while also adding kind of a spooky, psychotic level to it. But yeah, I really loved interspersing those Kirby panels. Um, so what do we, one to ten both of these issues? I love that Al Ewing, I mean, he wrote both of these. Yeah. He's like the Hulk dude now in my yeah, mind. Yeah, like for he, sure. He can write the Hulk as long as he wants. Yep, yep. Um, I'll give Immortal Hulk, uh, the, the main series, I'll give it a nine. I really, really liked it. I love Catabasis, which is the journey into the underworld. So he's getting there, and I'm really, really digging that. What do you give the defense? The defense, I'll give a, a 7.5. It was very, very good. I was a little confused. Um, and like I said, I don't know if I care super about the overall plot. I was mainly just trying to read these characters. Like to me, it stays a one shot in my mind. It doesn't need to have a overall mm-hmm. interconnected thing. Um, but I'm very excited for the Silver Surfer one as well. Mm. So I'll give that a 7.5. What do you give it, Chowderhound? Catabasis, isn't that the name of Ozymandias' uh, cat? That's Boobasis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just making, I was joking. Oh, um, I'll give the regular series number 10, uh, I'll give that a, um, a 9. And I'll give Immortal Hulk, you know, actually a 9.5. I think Whoa. for the defenders issue. Yeah, for okay. the for the defenders issue. I really like the way the way it was done, the whole framing thing. I like the fact that we don't really see the Hulk until the end, um, but we kind of do in the in the little Kirby things. And I just love the defenders. 
I absolutely love the Defender, the original Defenders. Mm. So I'm excited for this whole thing. I know you're a big fan of the new Doctor Strange outfit as well. I'm going to give the Immortal Hulk number 10 like an 8.59. Like a really, really good. Uh, It helps to talk to Justin about that at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, Green Lantern number 2 by Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. Okay. It looked pretty sharp. Oh, that was another killer one. Oh, Roman. Um, So I read this one when I got off work today and was pretty exhausted. It's... Fucking rad. <laughs> yeah, I was. I'm, I'm going to give it another read. Um, I mean, just every. I mean, I mean, this one Green Lantern who we haven't seen. Whatever this dude is, what's volcano his name? guy? No, uh, the first guy, Rotlop fan. Yeah. The way he makes his constructs, it's just this. Uh, looks like it's. It has the sense that it's changes shape and size. The look, and it's just like a. Like a, 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 a atomic or yeah, like a like a. I'm trying to think of those toys we had when we were kids with the you stick them together and and they got the little nodules. I know what you're talking about. But yeah, but yeah, I'm not I'm not describing it well enough for our listeners. Um but yeah, kind of like atomic symbols in a way. It looks like an atomic structure or kind yeah, of like we, Kabbalah. Yeah, yeah, and actually mm-hmm. I, I, what I'm getting at is we haven't seen a green lantern construct like that before, I don't think. Yeah, I thought that was very cool. And that always impresses me when an artist comes up with something original for green lantern. Yeah, the basic setup for this issue is like deep within the depths of uh, the southern super void, the Obsidian Deeps is like the mm. ultimate super prison within like a super collapse, collapse star. Um, this character from, I believe, Alan Moore's Green Lantern run. Oh. Um, Who's that? The star-faced guy, and I forget his Oh, name. Evil Star? Evil Star. No, actually, he's older than that. He's an old Green Lantern villain. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Um, Who's hardly ever used. Yeah, he's fucking awesome. Um, I recognize that costume. I love it. Um, He gets broken out of of this prison, and he it kind of builds him up to be a super bad dude. He gets broken out by the bad guys in the last issue, um, while Green Lantern goes in like a good cop bad cop way. You think at first um, is going to interrogate someone about these guys, Um, and it kind of plays back and forth. And then you realize the bad guys were just using Starface guy, Evil Star, Evil Star, for his star cannon, and they they fuck him up. And then you they s- evil Dracula fuck him up. Yeah, like, that was such a great death scene because by that time I was like, all right, you talk too much. Yeah, I'm ex- and then like it was like he intentionally was doing that, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this guy's dead. Like I don't have to. Okay. Yeah. Well, they suck the life out of him. And- yeah, not dead actually. He's like this old, poor, crippled, pathetic human. Um, and Hal comes in to talk to him to see what happened. And then he goes back to Earth, and Earth is missing. And do you think that's like it's missing because of like the Superman Earth is missing? Because it's shrunk? Do you think it's related no, to that? No, I, I think it, it got Adam re enlarged it and got it in place and everything. And then, like, a couple months later, it gets stolen by, the, by these dudes, the, that are... the Black Stars or whatever they are. Yeah, and I'm so curious about these guys because they're called Black Stars, but their costumes, I think, I didn't look it up, but I think their costumes look kind of like the Dark Stars, but they were a competing intergalactic space cops thing that Donna Troy used to be part of. I really like the character design on these, whatever this, the the bad person that oh, kills yeah. Evil Star. Yeah. And, and the paneling on that particular scene. Uh, so I'm, like, conflicted about the art in this particular issue because I think it... It's really great at sometimes, and then it's a little boring at other times. I, just, just for me, I, 
there was a lot of talking in this issue, and it didn't help that I had just worked oh. many hours. <laughs> um, I should have read it in the morning. So, like, these scenes of, like, Oa are incredible and dense. Yeah. But then in that the scenes of just the, like, there's a lot of pages of conversation here, which isn't a problem, but... I don't know. There was elements of the art did feel particularly 80s at times and then felt really progressive at other times. Yeah. And that's not... I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting at times to be floored by how awesome it is and then other times to feel a little bored by it. For for me. But I don't think that that is a comment on the merit of how you know good the book is. That is interesting because... Because for me, because I started reading Green Lantern in the '80s, I really liked that 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 juxtaposition. Because like when you turn when you see O for the first time, that blew me away because I didn't know Liam Sharp could could do that. And we've got like the one shot of like the digital, just like 3D modeled spaceship, and like That's, that took me out. Yeah, and they did that with the moon probe as well. There, what I was gonna say is some. Uh, it's weird. Some panels are super complicated and overly cluttered with stuff and it's amazing but like it's visually really dense and then others are so plain yeah like he's flying through space here and it's just kind of digitally done stardust and an image of a planet in the corner and then he's flying by the moon and there's no stardust there's nothing and not that that's like something to add to it but there's no particulate like it's just very plain in a digital moon probe i did really like that ex- explanation for him flying though like yeah. he says like taking back to earth and it's like commencing inner space acceleration destination planet earth space fold and then like you know you you get this yeah, idea so of space <laughs> folding yeah yeah and it's you know fifth dimensional Hyperspace. travel or something <laughs> Yeah. So my favorite thing about this is it reminds me of why I really love Grant Morrison is he creates his own like dialogue and his space gibberish like his like super in every he just it drips imagination. Yeah. I spent 20 minutes thinking about the obsidian deeps and why it's in the southern super void and what that means and what space fold flight was in it. There's so much of little like cosmic cause. cosmic concepts and like world building just thrown off like in the invisibles there's just so much like this concept and that concept and yeah how'd you guys feel about the interrogation i liked it i liked it yeah i thought hal's voice sounded like how i think hal sounds not that that makes that it's good but it it felt really felt really internally consistent for hal jordan um it seemed a little like rushed and funny but I just Grant Morrison, in my opinion, has the best imagination in comics. Like, yeah. he's so bright and out there, and uh, I loved every yeah. minute of this book. I give it a nine on this read. I want to reread it. It, it, you know, it feels connective to this greater story. Um, yeah, I, I didn't like it quite as much as the first issue. The art was just a little bit more hit and miss with me, but I, I still think that this is like All Star Green Lantern in the making. So. Hmm. Yeah, I really felt like there was I got to see behind the curtain a little bit and see that this was like it wasn't just episodic. Each issue is just a random Green Lantern. Yeah, like it feels like there is a story here, an overarching one. Um, I love just the playing in the world, messing around in the cosmic muck. I would give this like a 10 out of 10 out of 10. Like if Mm -hmm. I could give it a 12, I would give it a 12. (laughs) I love it. I love the colors, the bright. And I just I get so horny for stars and celestial things. So. It was right up. This was my by far my favorite book of the week. That's fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. What a sweet. What a green Jezza. Yeah, what a big old green, <laughs> green Jezza. Uh, I think I'll give I'll give it a 9.5. 
We've got that spectrum covered today. Yeah. Nine, nine and a half. I just had so many nods, and you know, maybe, maybe Evil Star is an Alan Moore Green Lantern because when did he did Green Lantern in the eighties? I think so. I don't, now I don't. I don't. Now maybe I was wrong. I don't know if Evil Star is older than that or not. I didn't know he did a Green Lantern run. All right, so um, we've got on. more green books. More green jezzes in space. More green jezzes in space. Oi, <laughs> oi, get that jezza down that here. That jezza's up in it. <laughs> uh, Martian Manhunter by Steve Orlando and Riley Rossimo. Martian um, Manhunter used to be a Green Lantern. Following oh. in the... Well, they're definitely advertising and portraying this as following in the steps of Mr. Miracle. They even threw that that TK quote on the front to just to remind you that it's, uh, you know, in the tradition of Mr. Miracle. Yeah. Um... And then uh, Mr. Placentia doing color work, and I need to double check on their first name. Ivan Placentia. Plas- <laughs> it's Placenta Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's Placenta Jeff. He's Hydra. Um, well, I liked this book more than I thought I was going to. Steve Orlando is per- a person who I, I read pr- pretty much the first issue of anything he puts out. And he's thrown a lot of spaghetti at the wall, and not a lot of it has stuck for me. But this one actually, I think, is all of the stuff that I've liked about his books. I think he's great um, in talking about other cultures and other time zones and other, yeah, outside the norm practices. And this just had this really wonderful uh conceptualization of the Martians and this background perspective and personality on John Jones that you don't really get from a Justice League book. And <clears throat> yeah, he, I don't know, everything is we- very well built for being 15 degrees to the left of a, a normal thing. And I, I, I don't know, maybe all of that is super, super helped by Riley Ross' most incredible art. Yeah. I don't really know what happened in this book? It's Riley Rossimo, but it is way goopier. Yeah, it is and goopier. It, like <laughs> it's bigger, more irrational, circular. Sh- like everything's Big pretty jaws. round. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was following the crime scene stuff, though. I thought the dialogue was a little clumsy. It was yeah, hard to track. And then when he went to Mars, that scene I, I cared less for. I cared a lot more for the crime scene stuff. No gosh darn sense. Well, I felt was, like I was on down under. It was tracked weird. So basically we have the Marsh Manhunter who is a, a cop, a crime scene investigator guy, and he is he wakes up after sort of reliving the, the death of all of his people on his planet in a big fire, and he goes with his cop partner to investigate a murder scene that's very, very grisly. Yeah, it is. But this sort of inner monologue is him talking about how he hasn't always been a good guy. And he's using his Martian powers to detect fright foam. Is that what it's always been called? This, I think they they made it up for this. Okay, but I, I like the I, concept of it, but the that name is a little bit yeah. like that's what the Martians what? would call their <laughs> yeah. their emotional. Well, I kind of thought Orlando was re- kind of obliquely referring to um, quantum foam, which which is an actual like theoretical yeah. thing, except I, except focused on just on fear. But then we're taken to Mars and it's a much, much younger John Jones and he's kind of a bully jerk. Okay, I was going to say, I'm, yeah. did I get a read that he's like he's he's like an enforcer or just yeah, which that's, a bad cop? or That's new. I don't think he's ever been portrayed that way before. I mean, yeah, he was a manhunter 
on his home planet. And I don't love that. So is this like Dog the Bounty Hunter in space? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... So I care less about that. He gets home, though. He does seem like a loving father and a very devoted husband, and there's a very hot sex scene. That, that was is, my favorite part. Yeah, yeah. that was cool. They bec- they're sort of The Martians become a single, globular, weird, connective uh, entity, and that's just a really cool way of talking about yeah. intercourse. Yeah, because I they're, like to they're think shapeshifters, about. and when they they make love, they just shift into each other. Yeah, it's like a telepathic, but also their physical bodies become one and their consciousness. I really liked that part. Yeah, um, I like thinking about sexual things as also spiritual experiences yeah. as well as like, yeah, intimacy and human and non-human type of intimacy, what that would be like, and then like two non-human type like, right. with something that could shapeshift and be telepathic. That's got to be some psychedelic crazy gumbo in there. That's got to be a festival. It's reminded yeah. me of the sex scene in Promethea. The like, oh, yeah. yeah, there's yeah. a, there's a bit. But so then after that, we're taken back to leaving the crime scene with John and the the police detective, and he's having some crazy hallucinations, and then his car crashes, and she realizes that he's this crazy Martian thing. Is that his kid frozen in the middle of the street? Is that what he thinks? It looks, looks, it looks, looks like, like it. Yeah. Because I know from the kid. Justice League cartoons, uh, John has some like old kid drama stuff. Like his kid, he lost his kids at some yeah. point, or I think he's responsible for like the death of the entire species. Oh, depends on yeah. Well, it depends on which. And this seems like it's kind of doing thing. its own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, all the Martians, all the Green Martians, died in this horrible. I mean, it used to be like in Moore's and continuity with JLA, the White Martians. There are two factions. The White Martians wiped out all the Green Martians. Mm. I don't know if that's still. That's what I've Continuity seen in the and rebirth. cartoons okay. as well as, like, that was heavily referenced in Young Justice as well. Yeah. And the Teen Titans cartoon that I read, or sorry, the comic that I read, the Johns run. Mm. And later in that run, you start seeing some, like, white Martian yeah. taken over kind mm. of stuff. And, and they were more powerful as well. And that's why his weakness is fire, because it's a traumatic psychological thing. That yeah. I, I think it's a well-done comic, and I think that everyone should check it out because it's definitely a unique a unique thing happening for this character, but I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure how far I'm going to get into it. Yeah, like reading it, I could tell this is like a step above, like your Red Hood and the Outlaws or Nightwing comic. Like it, there is something special to it. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of freedom and attention and focus to it. It feels like it isn't just like, oh, we, well, oh, people like Nightwing, let's give him a book. People right. like this character, let's give him a book. It doesn't feel like a Bizarro book. Or, like, something that's just thrown in there. It feels like there's a purpose and stuff. I could tell there was good world building on it, in it. But for me, the technical storytelling of it lost me to the point where I don't know if I care to dig in and find the world building. The, like, three pages of introducing the Mars was super confusing. And you couldn't tell who was talking or who was tracking. And and Yeah, the stuff on Mars, that was a little too... And I liked the dialogue. I'm not sure how I feel about John apparently being kind of a dick back then. But um, the planet itself is just way too too busy. Though I did really, well, I did really like after him and his wife um, after their their sex scene, they get into this dialogue where she knows because they're all telepathic and linked. Um, she knows she's there's still stuff he hides from her. And she never, and so they have an argument like couples do about, well, why aren't you telling, why don't we share this with me? And he's trying to protect her. And she's like, I don't need protection. I can handle it. 
So that so they st- I liked, and he's like, is he trying to protect her, or is he is he doing shitty stuff? He doesn't or is want he her hiding to know something about. from her? And yeah. that's yeah. what the truth seems yeah. to be. Yeah, and that's an element we haven't seen of their relationship before. And I like the fact as as a detective, he uses his telepathy to kind of pick up um, remnants of emotions and things in case and on crime scenes. That was my favorite part of it. Yeah, they use yeah. that well. Like, how would a Martian use detective stuff? And he was like using his advanced memory to like fully recall stuff. Yeah. And yeah. So I like these little points about intimacy and and. And, I don't know, connective emotions and everything that we're getting out here. So I hope that continues in these. I give it an eight. Um, I think it's a I think it's a, a well-done comic, and I think that it probably is for some, you know, a, a good portion of people would really, really like this. I'll probably keep flipping through it for sure to keep tracking what's going on, but I don't know. I don't know if it, how long it'll sustain my interest. Yeah, I'll give it a seven. It definitely is a high-caliber su- superhero book. Um it just didn't have anything that really caught me while also recognizing that it was pretty well done all the way through. Uh, yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll give it an eight also. The only thing that really distracted me was his partner, Her, she has this giant hair. She looks like a Joe Staten character. Joe Staten's oh. artwork. Oh, um, <laughs> Joe Staten. <laughs> He's back. So that was, her hair kind of distracted me, but I like the book overall. I'll stick with it. Prodigy number one by Mark Millar and Raphael Albuquerque. Look at this Jezza Oh, he's a pretty boy. He's a very pretty boy. This is just like your sort of dumb, fun... It's like a James Bond that's way more interesting to me. It's not like a James Bond that's like sexed up and stuff. It's like a super, super brilliant genius adrenaline junkie who solves all these problems and uh, seems to have some Taskmaster-esque photographic memory. So he learns by by seeing and has just been brilliant his whole life. And Yeah, learning is his superpower. He's like the quickest learner on the planet. Yeah, and his mom just, like, I guess when she was he was young before she presumably passed away, she was like, you know, promise me you'll always stay curious. And I, I love, there is some cool little heartbeats in here. I, I liked the kid. I don't, especially when he was a kid, he's an adult. It's flashing between a couple scenes. There's just some cool, cool stuff in it. It's not going to... Oh, it's not gonna blow me air backwards. <laughs> um, but it's it's uh, it's it's a cool, fun book. He's you know kind of doing a bunch of favors for kids, so they're like, we want to see you jump across this canyon while your body's on fire and you lose your motorcycle and you have to get into this pool of water and no jetpack or you know whatever. And he's like, all right, cool, and he figures out a way to do it real quick and. I love that, but uh, as the issue goes on, there is the introduction of what needs to be like an actual plot, and I didn't really even understand it at the time, but Justin was like, yeah, I don't know how much I care about like people turning into cars. Into Hot Wheels. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, is that what happens there? Because I don't care about that at all. Yeah, aliens are like turning these people into like manifestations of their technology, and, lo- and yeah. they call them manifestations, and there's this scene of just like, cute little boy and girl walking home from school and then the kid coughs and boom he explodes into a car <laughs> boom i'm a car <laughs> and i was like and it seems totally to be into it over. up until then and then i was like what the fuck i said that out loud i was like what the fuck <laughs> and then i like looked back looked again i'm like he just zapped into a into a car and there's mice in the car yeah what lab the kid, rats the kid didn't have mice when he was walking he turned no. into a car that has rats in it <laughs> dead rats <laughs> 
dead rats. And they're all parked in so this the military. Kid ate some rats earlier. <laughs> so we don't know what's going on, but like this lady shows up and she's like, "Listen, some shit's going down. We're talking invasion stuff. Don't talk to the cops because you know, like a third of people know about it." And he's like, "Sweet, I've been bored. Clear my schedule for the next week." The art's nice. It's art good, Mark nice. Miller. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really get me Randy like uh, Magic. Magic Order does. Yeah. But it, it's just like a dumb, fun, cool thing that didn't take long to get through and was gratifying on a sort of a lot of shallow levels. <laughs> yeah. This lady's a CIA agent, and she says it's all part of the plan by the worst people alive and ancient prophecy hidden in the Kremlin library. Sure. So, like, I kind of like the idea of, like, Every conspiracy theory's wet dream is like it's ancient aliens, it's the evil government, and they're working together, and it's all this stuff. And, and it's always been. Yeah, known. yeah. I just didn't know. And this guy's just like, sweet. Well, I'm bored. Yeah. Like I like that. That everyone's like, you could save the world from the ultimate evil, and he's like, I'm down. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, like I do tons of cool stuff, and I'm bored of that. What so. I did really like is it starts at the beginning, the sequence of him as a child, and he's like on a polo team for this like rich school. And he's clearly younger than the other boys. And he, you know, talks to them afterwards. He says, gentlemen, congratulations on a spectacular cup victory and a special thank you for allowing a precocious 11-year-old on your team this year. And then these three older guys just beat the shit out of him. And then he spends the weekend watching, like, Bruce Lee movies and, you know, Jean-Luc or Jean-Claude Van Damme. And then he goes to school the next day and he beats the shit out of those kids and he says I know I'm going to get expelled for this but I've convinced it's a valuable life lesson for you yeah. uh, and it's, I just love a brilliant kid yeah. and it, it gets it feels a little bit like national treasure but with a more interesting protagonist I'm like I'm down with that for sure I like the intelligent kid shit talking like this is good for you yeah. he's not worried that he's getting expelled right. and yeah I also liked that he's just like he's watching these movies because he's convinced like oh I need to bruise their egos this is for them yeah. like yeah but he's also just getting revenge I like yeah I liked how he convinced himself to do that and yeah it was you know it was you know a, a pretty good comic for me until the fucking car thing <laughs> yeah yeah the car thing is rough yeah the car, but I mean also it is what it is it's a dumb big idea yeah, for you know? sure for and sure. and I'm sure it won't just be what it seems, you know. Uh, whoops, there's a Netflix ad for Daredevil on the back. Oh. They just canceled oh, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I give this one an eight. Uh, different than Martian Manhunter, though. It, I'm, I'm excited to keep up with this one, but it doesn't have any illusions about being a really special thing to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a six. Um, it's a perfectly acceptable comic book. There's a lot of, I'm getting a lot of, cheap thrills in books right now, so I think I, I, I might skip out on another cheap thrill. Yeah. Uh, though, cheap thrills are totally necessary when you read a shit ton of comics. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that was that Tasty Jezza. Uh, which, do you guys... I mean, we should talk a little bit about Shazam. Shazam, break it down for me. Shazam! Roman, <laughs> get my Shazam on the run. Shazam by uh, Jeff Johns and Dale Eaglesham. Mostly... All of this needs to come down to one moment. You're talking about the raised price, aren't you? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm not. Um, but oh. it touches on the raised price. Oh, okay. This is a 4.99 book. Why is it 4.99? It takes more. It so Jeff Johns added more kids 
to create Shazam. So you're being charged per kid. Back in oh. the day, it was cheaper for just one one Billy Bastion to get a Shazam. But now and you're now getting charged. A group of six. There's a lot of main characters. Fuckers. Yeah, so you're getting charged for you know more characters. That's what you're paying for. So. Jeff Johns is but not sneaky. more pages. That it was is more pages. Is it more pages? Yeah. It's twenty eight pages. Oh. It's six extra. Uh, One for each kid. There's this moment where the kids are arguing about what the team of the lightning folks should be called, and oh, as yeah. they're arguing about it, uh, it is so good. Billy Batson, I believe, as Shazam at the time, says, "Oh gosh," he says, "I don't know. I just want a name that I can pronounce, like Captain Mar." And then it has somebody interrupt right. him, which is awesome because he's supposed to be Captain Marvel. But Marvel yeah. owns the right to that title, mm-hmm. so they have to call him Shazam. And it's just, that was like Jeff Johns doing that awesome comic book stuff that used to happen a lot more before the companies hated each other, which was just these little wink-wink nudging at each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, That was my favorite bit. Sorry, what happened in it? No, no, that, that was one of my two, because... I still, when I read this character, I'm still like, yep, it's Captain Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> Shazam's the old wizard. Um, starts off, we, I, I don't know, if, I guess it's a flashback when Billy Batson first went down into the subway, the mystical subway station, and meets the wizard Shazam and gets his powers. They give you, like, everything you need to know about that book in two yeah. pages. Yeah, just in the first couple pages. And it mentions the thing we often don't, hasn't been explored before, is that there's these seven thrones there. What's that all about? I've seen that before. Have it you? was in Grant Morrison's Multiversity. It oh. was in Justice League Dark. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't read Justice League Dark. Okay, but yeah, Multiversity. Yeah, yeah it's it's been around. And then it, and then it comes to present time when Billy Batson and Freddie Freeman are at school and they're on a field trip to a museum. Criminals break in and Freddie's all excited because he was bored out of his skull. And Billy says Shazam and shows up as Captain. Or, I mean, shows up as Shazam. So Shazam um, is kind of like a. F- Fleshy Megazord. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you call your dinosaur down. You climb into the enormous body of this muscle-powered man. You get an arm. It's like uh, <laughs> that movie, Galaxy Kid. Oh, yeah. Galaxy Kid. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I love that movie. And it has a little... I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast like a year ago. <laughs> yeah. It's a little thing that pops out of his chest to pee or yeah. something. Yeah, no, Very it's a little good. penis. Yeah. yeah. But isn't it up here? I thought it was down there. I think it's like up on his chest. I think uh, it, oh, because the kid's his... in the bigger. Yeah, 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 but he couldn't use it. I had a such such a crush on the female uh, protagonist in that movie. I don't remember her. Oh, I watched that movie a lot. I, I did too. I'm going to follow that. Star uh, Kid. Uh, yeah, Star Kid. Roman. Can, so after Billy Bassett shows up, <laughs> I've never seen this movie. Um, You'd like it, Roman. There's this cool pee bit. So yeah, right. So he starts fighting the, all these criminals start shooting at him and one of the things I liked in this one page it's got a couple circular panels and a couple square panels and he tosses one of the guys into a wall and you don't see that he's done this until the last panel and you just see a kind of you see the villains behind him and you see a side shot of Captain Marvel or Shazam kind of looking over there he caught one of the bullets in his teeth which uh. you didn't see him do he's just it just happens to be you know he's just there because that's a classic Cool Shazam. hero Shazam thing, and then, and then <laughs> but then you find out that the other well, some of, we already knew this, but for the first time in this book, then you, there's some more lightning flashes, and the other kids have all become their their Shazam powered characters. So there's Mary Marvel and what so used to be they, called Captain Marvel Junior. I don't know what they call him in this series. So they all have their individual ones. They do. I mean, in the, in the old continuity, like Mary Marvel was just a female. <laughs> 
Sorry, I mean, I know that we watched this movie when we were young, but that girl is young. Uh, <laughs> She's yeah. like 10. Yeah, I was like 10 when I saw it. I know, it. it's totally in the yeah. right, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. looking back on it, look at the image of this girl. <laughs> yeah, I told people that I wanted her to be my girlfriend. <laughs> what movie was it? Star Kid. We'll watch it sometime. It's even, a killer joy. that one. <laughs> yeah, dude, it, it was a, yeah. Sorry, it's like I Iron Giant, that. but better. Oh, I yeah. love that. Oh, better than Iron Giant. I love Iron Giant. It's, it's a great movie. Much better than yeah, Iron Giant. It, oh, yeah, I find that hard to believe. Iron Giant ripped it off quite a bit. Pretty <laughs> pretty hardcore. Doesn't matter if nobody's ever heard of it. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> so I'm lost, though. There's what? X amount of kids, and they all turn into one. Six total. They all have a different personality, yeah, which oh, I so like Billy more than all of Jeff. them. Yeah, yeah. He's Shazam, and then there's Mary Marvel. There's a good, you know, kind of. Group I thought shot. they all became one Shazam. I thought they did too, but I guess Inside I, I misremembered. I guess I misremembered that from yeah. their previous introduction. So I preferred Jones. this to the Shazam Chasm philosophy that we had proffered earlier. Yeah. Um, this is much more Power Rangers. They've all got a different color, and I've seen similar looking characters to that before. So yeah. now they're 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 Shazam. Force. What happens though? At one point, they're in the house. The kids are all back home, being buddy buddies. They're all happy orphans, um, and they go up to their room because they're all happy to be hanging out together. And then they they're like, "Oh shit!" There's an entrance to like this secret area in our secret clubhouse that the wizard guy was in. Anyway, they stumble, but this area had been closed off before. It's open now. The Shazam Force 5. And they go into it, and you get a really nice double-page spread of, like, cathedral-type thing. Ooh. Now, skip skip two pages forward. That's a great, you got Baldacinos, Arch, you know, like. Yeah. Uh, great, great architecture. Then they find this cool map of the Magic Lands, and it looks like each of those emblems are either probably one of the seven gods or those seven wizards that were, you know, of the of those stone chairs. Mm-hmm. And they're all really into lightning bolts. Yeah. And then they turn on the switch yep. that turns on magic from this world, which hasn't been around. And at the same time, Billy Batson's father shows up at the orphanage house. Yeah, which I really like that because in, I don't know, the Power of Shazam series or something in the 80s, 90s by Jerry Ordway, and a miniseries before that led into it, Billy Batson's father showed up for the first time ever in comics and turned out to be an awful person. That's what <laughs> I feel like this is going to be. Yeah. yeah. What'd you give it, Roman? What do you, I mean, how much did you like this thing? I'm giving all my books like an 8. I'll give yeah. this an 8.5. Wow, you liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I mean, I'm... I'm very curious about, I mean, I'm still not sure if I like the idea of all these kids sharing the power of Shazam. It really shocked you. Versus, yeah, it was, it was shocking, uh, electrifying, um, versus the old traditional way, but it's a very different new take on it, so I'm curious to see where it goes. I like the fact that, you know, one of the one of the girls, the, there's two girls, and the one that's not Mary, I forget her name. She's just so enthusiastic and so excited. It's just, it's just fun to read her dialogue. They all have very distinct personalities. No, uh, this just really rubbed me in, a, in like a better way than I thought it was going to. I was interested in it, and I actually enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it an 8. Ooh. I think the art is, is very good, too. Dale Eaglesham, it's worth mentioning. <laughs> um, I want to do a buckshot, but... A Burkshot. Does anybody else have a Burke shirt loaded? Um, I no, I don't. I don't even have a. God. I guess. I guess I can do a buckshot. Well, I mean, 
I guess I just want to do. I took I wanna, a nap instead of get ouch. more bucks. It's very good to do. I read Green Lantern when I, I really sick. needed to take a nap. And did you read Venom? No. Okay. Um, well, in that case, I'm going to start on a buckshot. Yeah, buck it out. Um, hey, will you pass that bucket? <laughs> that was class. That was quality. All right, I'm setting my timer here. Usually Django would do me. Um, I'm going to do me. It's going. Uh, Die number one by Kieran Gillen. This was uh, really, really good. I did talk about it on the last podcast. I didn't reread this one, but I did get a, a PDF of it a, a few weeks ago and, and really, really liked it. The art's gorgeous. It's a cool world. Great story. I'm more interested in this one than I was in The Wicked and Divine. I want to follow this more than Wicked and Divine. <laughs> Merry X-Men Holiday Special. Couldn't sleep last night, so I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I read the Merry X-Men Holiday Special. Cried. Cried myself back to sleep, <laughs> boys and girls. Cried myself back to sleep. Each, each page was written and drawn by a different person doing one of the 25 days leading up to Christmas. And so instead of having like six short anthology stories, you got like 24 real quick one-page things. Low investment. High reward. Snap Flash Hustle by Black Mask. Um, Uncanny X-Men number four <laughs> is is still weekly, and I, I like it a lot. This has this weird X-Man is trying to change all of reality to suit a more positive world. So he has the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but they're doing positive works, and it's like the blob... Archangel, Magneto, and Omega Red having super positive powers. It's strangely compelling, this book. I'm, I'm really glad there's a cool uh, X-Men book coming out. And then Venom, number nine. I'm not going to talk too much about it because I don't want to spoil this Jesse for my boy. Um, but we meet Eddie Brock's brother, and Ooh. it's cool. Is it Teddy Brock? I'm not going to spoil that for you because that's where the fun really is. <laughs> Would you give me a, a rough rough? How many rough roughs on that Venom on that Venom dog? Dude, the cover is a big dog. A Venom dog. Yeah, and I that was not interesting to me until I understood how it was briefly applied. But basically the symbiote can't be bonded to Eddie anymore because it got so wrecked. So it's just sort of on this dog he's been carrying around with him. And it, <laughs> it's It's cool. Um, I give Benham number nine an 8.5. So good. Actually, like a nine. Yeah. It's angsty, though. This one is like really, if you've ever broken up with somebody or been abandoned in any way, he really gets All to the time. heart of that in <laughs> oh, a wow. really effective way. Hand it over. I'm going to identify with that. Uncanny X-Men number four. I'm going to give uh, a 7.5. I'm surprised that I like this book as much as I do for a weekly X-Men book written by a team, but the art's great, and uh, the story's great, and it's just super interesting, although Beast on the cover looks not that good. <laughs> Snap Flash Hustle, I'll give a 6. Art was fine. Definitely capitalizing on how everyone likes sex. That's sort of, sort of what Black Mask does. The Merry X-Men Holiday Special number one, I'm going to give that one a nine because I love a holiday special. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and I love it if it does. it's not like six short stories. I like if I'm getting in and out of a bunch of them. And then Die uh, number one, I'm going to give that one a nine. Uh, yeah, those are my five buckshotted books. Wow, Roman. you've got three books in there now that I want to Listen, read. Reza, it's your turn to go. <laughs> All right, Reza. Reza, 90 what? seconds on the clock from the Jezzas. <laughs> well, we got Namor, number one. <laughs> the Best Defense um, by uh, whoever does this. Chip Zdarsky and Carlos, Carlos Magno. Your time. Um, the art in this is beautiful. You guys got to check this out. The art, I've never heard of this person before. Fantastic art, very detailed. Basically... 
McDonald's, or geez, McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Namor is down in Atlantis, and he's trying to rebuild Atlantis, and he's trying to find allies to fight the surface world. So he goes to this lost ancient race of, of former Atlanteans. There's a lot of great political stuff because these guys are like, we're the real Atlanteans. You guys are just like an inferior race. So it gets in all this racial politics and stuff, even though they're both the same. And at the end, there's a big battles, beautiful art. And at the end, Namor's about to die. Silver Surfer saves him. Oh, there's a Silver Surfer Namor in it. There is. There is. And LaGuardia number one, um, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce this person's name because I'm just going to massacre it. This looks to be a really interesting story, sci-fi, kind of set in the future about um, immigration and hatred and acceptance. There's a lot going on here. Too, too much to unpack in just this short little amount of time. It's interesting, and it, it's going to be good. It's, it's all about literal aliens coming to Earth and being accepted or not accepted in Nigeria, which has accepted everybody. Um, this is going good places. You should check it out. Nice one, Roman. <laughs> Great usage of the time. You're so good. So what do you give those? And feel free to give a credit if you'd like. Um, Namor, the best defense, number one, by Chip Sadarsky and Carlos Magnol. Magnol. Um, I'll give that a... I'm going to give that a 7.5. It's so far the lead-ins to best defense defenders are pretty interesting. Um, LaGuardia, you know, and I don't know, I'm a West Coast boy. Is it pronounced LaGuardia with a W or is it LaGuardia? I've already heard it. I've always heard it. Yeah. Okay, I think that's how I've heard it. But I didn't know if that was just a New York thing or what. But anyway, LaGuardia number one, it's a burger book. Um, this is a perfect book to sit down with a nice double fat pat stack. A big old double. With some old fries and a milk shake and get down <laughs> on your burger. Oh, are we going to Fat Shack after this? Um, Roman, I will go to Fat Shack with you, but I told you, you have to get really stoned. Oh, that's right. Okay. Where's all, Fat Shack? I don't even know where it is. out by... Um, a casino? <laughs> I forget. I think it's on like Big Review or something. Um, Is there a casino like, out there? Uh, no, but we're going gambling, boys. Roman Justin really wants to go gambling. No, but I'll go to Fat Check with you. I just like it's got to be in like a stone-induced food desire pit. That's what it has to be. <laughs> but I get sweaty when I get stoned. I can't gamble if I'm sweaty. <laughs> well, we're gonna get sweaty eating all that, all the melted cheese and oh, tater tots yeah. on Sounds triple like, deckers, like deep fried Oreos. And oh yeah, oh, we're all gonna get yeah. sick. We're all gonna get really sick. <laughs> He's been talking about it for like a year. My stance has always been the same. Can you get Oreos on a burger there? You can get Probably. deep fried Oreos covered in ketchup, dipped in mayonnaise, fried again, put in a bun, wrapped in beef, put with bacon, <laughs> covered in cheese, put between some more buns, put in your gut. It is great. God, we gotta go. That is one tasty jizz. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> that is a tasty jizz. Oi, mate! <laughs> I busted an artery. Um, <laughs> what do you give the guard? I'll give LaGuardia. I'll give a number number one. I'll give a eight. That's a good sound of jizz right there. Listen. We are hot on the trails of a goddamned mystery. We're 60 issues in, tracking the trends, corralling demographics. We are going to get this case cracked. Who stole my bird? Batman seems to be a jerk. What's up with that? He's just traumatized. Tom King, uh, art by Mikael Janin and Jorge Fornias. That's kind of one of the big story hooks in this. Justin, what's going on in this Batman book? Oh. Um, I don't know. There's like, <laughs> uh, 
apparently Batman's pretty pissed off because someone is not super obvious, but he thinks it's Bane, but everyone's telling him it's not even his good boy Gordon. Seems to be uh, killing all his friends. And apparently if you're Batman, you're pretty pissed off. There's some bird metaphors, which, you know, I'm, a, I'm into any kind of metaphor. Batman's puncturing some kind of vagrant low-level uh, villains. You start to realize that Penguin screwed over Bane because Bane's, you know, did something to Penguin's love interest. Um, classic climax of the story. Symbolically, we see the Gordon lose faith in Batman, um, and their friendship is shattered like the bat signal. Um, that Aww. Gordon shatters. Um, so we're really seeing it all all fall apart, eventually leading to the end. Spoilers. Where, spoilers. Where this Bat is going to get where this is going to get really real stinky with spoilers. Um, real stinky with some bat kink. Yeah, and at the very end. <laughs> so Alfred is keeping Penguin hostage, and you yeah uh, you see someone break into the Bat Cave. Alfred's all beat up, and it's. Batman's dad as Batman, the one that we know from the Flashpoint universe, known as Thomas Wayne. Thomas, Thomas Wayne, Wayne Batman. Yep. Jezza. Jezza. So before we get into the real story implications of that, Jorge Fornes does the art in Hot Lunch Special, which is a book that oh. we've raved about pretty much every issue of from Aftershock. Absolutely incredible art. Um, just recently did one of the shorts in uh, the Batman Secret Files. Mm-hmm. And is now doing all of the scenes of Batman in this, and it is spectacular. And I hope I don't get my hopes up and other people's hopes up. I thought I read that he's going to be doing more consistent work in, on the Batman book. I hope for Tom King's he run. He is like like a big old casserole, like a David Aja, David Mazzuchelli, and a little bit of Francavia casserole. And I would put like a sort of a uh uh. Um, a kind of Darrington glaze on oh, the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would. Um, it is... I really love David Mazzuchelli. I really like Batman Year One. Even though I don't like, like, Frank Miller's body of work so much, I love that story. Um, and this is, like, a, a slightly cartoonier. Like, this is instantly some of my favorite Batman art I've ever seen. Instantly. Yeah, the colors... It is a gorgeous Batman. It looks the like... The sound effects are so well done. Yeah. The panels are great. It looks like how a Batman comic looks in my head when I think about like what a Batman comic should look like. Um, it's like just the full-page shots of like him beating the shit out of somebody because he's unhinged. The red-gray sky. Yeah. The gradients. Uh, oh, yeah. The gradients are amazing. The character designs are very good. The Firefly, I've never seen like that. Um, some of Batman's gadgets are very cool in ways that I haven't seen before. Uh, the rain looks fucking amazing. Um, when he's punching Maxi Zeus on the, um, you know, his punches are good. Jordi Belair is doing the colors, and she's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so that. Um, the last issue we saw Bane smirk after Batman had just beaten the shit out of him. Like he was a little baby being abused. Yeah, yeah, and smiling about it. Yeah, it was it was very weird. Uh, <laughs> it made me feel ooky. Yeah. Th- so, in this, we get some answers about, like, the Penguin. Like, the Penguin actually was trying to work against Bane, mm-hmm. but 
Bane wanted that to happen. What Thomas Wayne expresses as he gets there is that we knew that you were going to do this. You're, you're playing exactly like we knew you would. So Bane does want Batman to know that he's crazy and, you know, killing it in there. But everybody thinks that he actually is insane, uh, which is crazy. Yeah, he doesn't mind letting know Batman is right because Batman can't do anything about it. It's like, I beat you at your own game. In fact, you're just isolating yourself and Mm -hmm. ostracizing all of your friends and, by, and you're, you know, by, by by your determination with discovering this thing and your certainty with it, which, if you're wrong, is really fucked up. Mm-hmm. And, it, yeah, at this point, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Like, the more you, the closer you get, the worse it gets for you. Like, by solving this crime, you're also, like, alienating every. And look is what it's cost. All your friends are pretty much damaged by it. Yeah. You know? Um, and now your multiverse dad is coming to spank you. And now we don't, yeah, we just don't know. Roman, what's your thought on, is that Thomas Wayne? Is it Thomas Wayne? Is it? Well, I was trying to remember at the end of Flashpoint, particularly that Flashpoint Batman series. Well, but he was in the button after that. Oh, he was. Yeah. I don't remember. How did he come over to our, was it because of Dr. Manhattan's tinkering with everything? Justin and I looked it up in the button today and he ends like in the other reality and he and Bruce have a solid good goodbye yeah and he has like a a go son I don't want you to be Batman this is my venerable death I'm gonna stop right like it looks like he's about to fight somebody or something like yeah I don't know it looks like he's doing some epic cool Batman stuff yeah Um, and it's like a good like go forth son and live your life I love you yeah so my I have two theories it's either that Thomas Wayne and Bane has convinced him that if he does this, it will stop Bruce from being Batman. Mm-hmm. And ultimately his dad doesn't want him to be Batman because he's miserable. Mm-hmm. So that could be why Thomas is doing this, but I, I don't really buy that either. My other thought is, is this a Thomas Wayne version from like that reality that Booster Gold made a handful of issues ago when like he stopped Bruce oh. from his well, parents did, did getting murdered? Did Thomas Wayne get killed? Yeah, but what if this is like that Bruce or what if this is, oh. you know, a different Thomas from that? I, I like that idea because maybe this Batman is trying to make him, our Bruce, not be Batman so, you know, then he could have, he could marry Catwoman then because the only reason she didn't marry him is because she was convinced, well, he has to be Batman. But if he doesn't have to be Batman, yeah. they could be married and happy. But also, Justin was suggesting this morning that maybe it's just some other Jezza in the DC universe. Yeah, dressed up as Thomas to be a, a closer emotional hit. Because maybe, maybe it's Hugo Strange messing with him. Yeah. Oh. oh, he's he's got, been in the the he's dressed Tom like, King run. Yeah, it could best, be some psychopath. He's dressed shit up like too, Batman yeah. before. The psychopath shit. It also occurred to me that what if like everybody, because everybody that he keeps beating the shit out of that's in Arkham is like no. Bane spent all of his time like whimpering and crying in a corner. What if that is like some psycho pirate stuff? Yeah. Or, you know, Gotham girl. Oh, I don't know about that. Anyway. Is this uh, Gotham boy dressed up as Thomas Wayne? I thought he died. He got killed. But yeah. Are we really sure of that? I don't know. I, I, We're pretty sure. I mean, that's yeah, why I think, Gotham girl like went nuts. Yeah, she lost her mind. There were several issues to follow up for. Everything her, is so tied and Batman is so fucked <laughs> with everything else without having to have some multiversal like component why make why make the writer's choice to bring in something that far fetched when he's tied a really good web together so i'm wondering 
why go and get a person from the multiverse to beat up Batman when Bane has defeated him with every other means? Like, why would a writer choose to break his own believability that way? Yeah, I I agree that if if that is how it would have happened, like Bane was like, open the multiversal door and I want to mm. choose this person to come in. That isn't as good unless... Let's get that treadmill. Unless there's a fluid way that it happened. Like, it's a holdover from... I, I don't know. Or... Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It that doesn't make as much sense to me unless there's a really fluid way with which those realities got, you know, linked up back door, yeah. or he believes that he's doing something a different way. But they had to do the stupid treadmill thing to get there yeah, they in did. the button. So, like to have Bane go, wait, I, I finally got him. What? We just need one last thing. I just let's have to run ste- very fast. Let's just steal his dad from a different universe and beat him up that way. Like, yeah. You know that that breaks the unbelief. So I I have to delude myself into believing it's someone else in that suit, and it's just I like that. Yeah, Yeah. and maybe and maybe this could all tie into Doomsday Clock because you know Doctor Manhattan wants to destroy the heroes of this world. Maybe he's behind this Thomas Wayne. Who's do we believe that that's what he's doing? I haven't read this week's Doomsday Clock yet. Do we believe that that's what Doctor Manhattan's doing? Is he wants to destroy this world's heroes? Well, that hasn't really been my read on it. Like that seems like there's Doctor Manhattan has a dog in that fight or has an agency for that whereas I feel like he seems very objective and removed from everything yeah, this has nothing to do with the previous issue okay. it's just a complete one off okay. no. so I yeah I was very confused There's this some... cover is so misleading but yeah. I like a mystery oh yeah I'm, I'm, Tom, I'm loving this title Tom King tweeted like his rough layout for yeah, the next couple that. issues and I'm down so we won't really know the close of this until maybe issue 105 yeah, well, or at least like seventy-five. Yeah, it sounds like around seventy-five will be in those that final stretch. But the next yeah. fifteen issues, I think, are going to be pretty crazy. Yeah, but maybe we'll get a quick wrap up, or you know, you know, part of me feels bad to talk about every issue of the series, but I don't also because it's probably my favorite thing to read every every month. Like it's it doesn't very very good. It's not like Mister Miracle profound, but in terms of like a large mystery that the art is gorgeous and is well written and mm-hmm. you know, we're 60 issues in. Mhm. That's I haven't been 60 issues into a run in a comic series in a long time. It's a feat. Yeah. I yeah, I don't like there are part obviously this run for me, has been wobbly. There are very high highs mm-hmm. and very, very low lows. The Warren Jokes and Riddles is a low low. Yeah. yeah, and I don't initially really like the Bane stuff. I thought, like, just the, the writing and the dialogue and stuff was pretty bad, though the plotting does seem good. Um, it's insane. Like, it's hard for me to admit that, like, 60 issues in and I'm loving it, like, or liking it a lot. I, and like I said, it took me a while to like it, but to think about a run that's 60s issues long that has brought, like, that much consistency is unheard of in a lot of comics and that know? much of your own sort of like feeling of for it for sure like I've never at any point felt like I knew what was going on that is crazy to me yeah the, to be like I really don't know where this is gonna go uh, is is awesome yeah god darn it Tom King who are you you're a wonderful man I don't know how he does it. Yeah, and you said there wasn't any big profound moments in, but the little, there's little moments, like in this particular issue, um, the dialogue between Penguin mm. and Alfred, within that dialogue, it's the most I've ever understood uh, that that Shakespeare poem, the phoenix and the 
the Phoenix and the Turtle or whatever it is. The use of that um, poem is very, very Yeah, the cool. use of that poem. They had the whole poem in a previous issue. I love the connection between Penguin and Alfred in that. Like yeah. the way that he starts reciting it and Alfred can actually say portions back yeah. and it felt totally believable. And when Penguin was talking about it, it's about lost, lost love. And I was like, oh, I'm finally starting to get that poem. I really And like just the fact that Penguin reveals it wasn't a woman that yeah. Is his lost love. It's a penguin. <laughs> it's a penguin. <laughs> yeah, that is so fucking cool. When Jeff said that, I thought it was a, just a really clever Yeah, I had to joke. reread it. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I think I said it on the podcast in the first of those three episodes. Oh, like, I? I was really? like, I think that it was, yeah, I mean, maybe me and Colette and Django, but it was a lot. Yeah, but anyway, they kept it a mystery. I was like, is he in love with a penguin? And I love that absurdist yeah, thing. That's yeah, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. And that makes sense for the penguin, you know? It does. It does. I was. I think I was thinking subconsciously maybe about that penguin one shot some years ago or miniseries that was really good, but he actually had a woman that he was hold, yeah. held captive that he was obsessed with and loved, but she had nothing to do with him. What was that? I don't know. It was before New Fifty. Was it? Be, I think it was before New Fifty Two. Maybe. Oh, it was Penguin Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Or penguin. Uh, yeah. yeah. Pain and Prejudice. Or something like that. Yeah. God, that's a good miniseries. Yeah. So oh, I th- wow. so I think I was conflating it with this. <laughs> I like that it's a penguin, and I also like Batman by this artist. Oh. oh. Yeah. Yeah. Just and, that costume. And I can't believe I, I didn't put it together. It was the artist from uh, Hot Lunch. I was thinking it. I kept on looking at it, thinking, I, this art looks so familiar, but I was thinking it was an older artist. Like It's eternal. It's perfect. Yeah. Art is I mean, it kind of reminds Batman. me in some ways of Lee Weeks a little bit, but not For as sure. scratchy and... Yeah, well, we're hot on the case, everybody. Come fo- follow us because these gumshoes are about to crack the load right on your chest. Dances <laughs> everywhere. It's going to be uh, an egg surprise. <laughs> yeah, quite a surprise. We need, we need, uh, we need scores though. A ten for me. I, I'm a fool for it. I'll give it a niner. 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 I'll give it a ten. Nine. Nine. Ten trick umbrellas. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, thank you to Nick Waite, as always, for letting us use your music as intro and outro music on our podcast. Uh, if you have opinions, thoughts, feelings, questions, if you're new to the podcast, we keep we hear you know every week or two somebody that just kind of pops in that we've never met before is chiming into the podcast, and they give us a call, give us an email, send us an email at info at thecomicsplace.com and say what your thoughts on it are or that you started listening. That's awesome. Call in, please. It's great to hear from people. Tell me about how much, or if you don't like, if you do or don't like a moody Batman walk slouching in the rain. Because I'm quite fond of a moody Batman, Batman slouching in the rain. And don't feel bad about disagreeing with us. No. Bad slouch. Uh, yeah, thank you for all the kind words in person. We would love to hear them on an online sphere as well or, you know. A recorded way. Anyway. Come get some leftover brie. We've got a lot of <laughs> pub cheese and brie on this table still. I feel full and a little greased out. A little Me too. Sick. We eat yeah. a lot of cheese. I didn't eat dinner, and that yeah, was my I, dinner. That was my dinner, too. Yeah, yeah and I, I ate a lot, forgetting that the base of that is cheese. <laughs> cheese, beer, and sausage. Bratwurst. Chashage. Um, Is there anything left? Jangle's going to be back next week. We're going to be recording in a new room with new audio setup. Down (laughs) under. I forgot about that, Jezza. Yeah, that Jezza. (laughs) The Jezza. Under the sidewalks of Bellingham. Under the streets. In the subterranean metaphorical literal hell realms of the Bellingham streets. Our own mystical station. 
with with entrances to other realms, magic mm-hmm. lands, if you will. Yeah. I'm Jeff, and I can't wait to one day have a penguin of my very own that I can <laughs> love and mourn the loss of when I inevitably outlive it. <laughs> I'm Justin, and I just want to be kept in a cage to talk to poetry by old men. <laughs> That would be pretty sweet. That's why we keep roaming around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Get in that cage, Justin. (laughs) Why do you always lock the door? We're reading the Phoenix and the Turtle Dog right now. Yeah. (laughs) It's better than Bukowski. (laughs) And what's your creepy outro, Roman? (laughs) Love is a dog from hell. Oh. Speaking of Bukowski. And that's Roman. (laughs) (laughs) I like. We'll see you next week, you Turtle Phoenix. Yeah.